Hello guys, welcome back to an episode of Murder Blows. You are in for a holiday treat. Um, I'm just kidding. It's the week of Christmas, so Merry Chrysler, if that's your jam. If not, I hope you survive all of the family gatherings, and if your family can hear me, this is awkward, and I'm sorry. Hi, fam! Um, this episode is not holiday-related, but I went there. This is a Unsolved Mysteries episode. This time, two of us did one case from Unsolved Mysteries, and two of us did all the cases on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. So sit tight to see who told what. Um, it's it's a real roller coaster. There's literally one of everything. Sometimes multiples of everything, but it's great, and we're here for it. Mary Chrysler, this is Murder Blows. I am Maisie, and we are joined with Cody, Sasha, and not so festive Violet. God, just, like, hang tight. Let's do this. Intro jingle jingle Nailed it. Christmas yet. I just decorated my tree tonight with my child and he put like he did a really good job. He didn't put all the ornaments in like one spot like he used to, so Yeah, it was cute. Aw. I don't have a tree because cats are assholes. Well, yeah, that's why I waited until now. Like normally I put it up super early because I never have time, but um, the cat already, like, one of them had to go outside because Ian was like, we just decorated this, and the cat is destroying it. I have an episode to listen to because I need to listen to it, but... Yes, you do, ma'am. I do. I'm it's excited good. about it, too. I got into my friend's car, and she was listening to our podcast. Oh, Shout man. out to How Laura. It was weird. weird. I was like, Maisie, what? <laughs> <laughs> How do you know her? <laughs> Is she in the backseat? <laughs> um, I... like, dumb and busted. Thing. Not dumb and busted, but like pranked shows, prank shows where Maisie would just be in the backseat for no reason. Oh, oh man. <laughs> 10 out of 10 would watch a punk, but with Maisie. <laughs> She's like, camera there, camera there, camera there, and me in the back. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the episode before Christmas. Is this the... Really? It is. Whoa. <laughs> I was like, did Macy just get like a soundboard? You know? God, <laughs> no. John is so oblivious. I'm going to tell a bad joke and it's just going to... I mean, I have one. I don't know how it would go. <laughs> I, I left your frying your tofu rejecting the fire, frying pan in last week's episode, even oh. though it was jarring because it was hilarious. It was funny because then it was just like Maisie giggling about the, the acorn <laughs> squash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cody, you missed you missed quite a ride last episode. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> I need to listen to it. Quite um, a ride tonight. 
shout out to my friend Lincoln. I ran into her at a pet store today and I haven't seen her in a while. And she was like, congrats on your podcast. And I was like, thank you. I was like, why? What's up? And she was like, oh, I checked your Instagram and you have so many followers and you have your up so many episodes. I was like, yeah. <laughs> We just keep going, whether people want us to or not. Did you get, like, hopeful that she, like, it's like those weird moments where people find out that they're nominated from Oscars or for Oscars by other people? I was like, where did you see us? (laughs) Is there, like, a billboard here I don't know about? We don't even have sponsors. (laughs) Do We have friends. We do have friends. And friends of the podcast are better. And our kids are grooming. What up? Yeah. I I don't know that we need a promo right now, but my lips have been so trapped and everything makes me feel better about the lip scrub. Yeah. That's it. That's all I got. It's been cold. It has. My hands oh. have been... Go for it. <laughs> I dyed my hair green. Uh, I know. I love it. Thank a work you. Of but it dyed my hands blue. But scruffy Wait. hands took care of that. So oh, did it really? Yes. Go scruffy hands. Sh- shut your face. That's one from oh. Arcadian Grooming. Yeah. Fifteen. So, so wait a minute. I'm so I curious. wore gloves when I put my. I wore gloves. I promise. I'm an adult. But when I went to wash my hair in the shower, I've never had this happen. It dyed my hair's my hands blue and so i was like okay Mm -hmm. i guess i have blue hands and then i was like but wait scruffy hands makes my hands smoother maybe it will also make them not blue and it effing worked like one one try it was like one and a half tries there was some more soap involved but it worked Um, i did soap first and then scruffy hands and it came through for me ekdel did you know that is there jealousy no john got so excited he was like is there jealousy it's like no. <laughs> Crush his spirits. Oh, Allie said that um she loved our promo last week and that uh Eric Dale was rolling at John's <laughs> promo. No, <laughs> like he didn't even say the name of the product, so no. that's what that is on our Instagram. It's the clay pomade from Arcadian Grooming. It's great. It's, he that. literally I don't I cannot believe he didn't say the name because he uses it literally every day so a little disappointed but that's okay there's always next time there the is next, the next john promo the i next... edited it and i was like <laughs> rolling oh my god <laughs> it was like dead quiet in my car ride and i was like kind of starting to doze off and then i heard Oh, like nervous John. Uh, I'm awake. And I was never edit it together, like to be cohesive. And I was like, no, it's too pure the way it is. It's too pure. He's been into maybe one club his entire life. That had me laughing so hard. He's styling and profiling. Styling it. He's like, I've been in multiple clubs. Wait, are you talking like athletic clubs or like not athletic clubs? Not the chess club, John. I have to record a serious podcast. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Hi, murder blows. We're recording way later than normal because I just volunteered for three hours and then we went to a karaoke happy hour. You went to a yes, John. What's on recording right now? Um, (laughs) He can't hear you, but I guess you can hear him pretty spot on. Yep, Um, that's funny. I sang. Do you want to build a snowman? Bring me to life. 
This is me. <laughs> um, Whoa! <laughs> what is this mosh pit? Uh, I sang another song, Puppies Are Forever, which is a Sia Christmas song. Highly recommend that entire album. Golly, there was a lot. We were in the room for two hours. It's kind of great. It's a private karaoke room here in Nashville, so you don't have to deal with everyone that thinks they're going to be discovered as a country music star. Oh, sweet. We love that. (laughs) I yeah. always, I love, like, like public karaoke. I don't like doing it. I just like listening to people. Hmm. Especially at cons. Oh, man. That was the best. How is everyone's? <laughs> How is everyone? <laughs> Great. I got a lot accomplished today. Ooh. Cody is dying of tuberculosis. Great. Apparently. I have a voice. <laughs> oh, yeah. Does. I'm doing good. Welcome. I just want to give everyone Jeremiah's Red Dead characters update. Sick of being sick. Isn't there a song about sick and being sick? Sick and tired of being sick and tired? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That one. Hi, get out of there. But Jeremiah's character in Red Dead has has tuberculosis, in case anyone's wondering. Oh, God. It's all over for him. Yeah, I hate to tell him, but... Super dead. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I saw his character dying. And I, like, I had turned around and I was like, Jared, we need to talk about, like, all these things we gotta accomplish next week. And his character's dying. And I'm like, oh, God, talk about wrong fucking time. (laughs) Pulled through, though. (laughs) It's like those moments when people are like, what's wrong? It's like me and life right now. Mm, Yes. I love that you're sensitive to his video game character dying. He's, he's into it. That's like wonderful, and so. Aww. Oh, is today? Is it things we love or advice today? Oh. It's whatever we want because we didn't. We did rapid fire Christmas questions yesterday or I yesterday. Think it was supposed oh my to be god! Advice. Okay. And, but I feel like we can just spare the advice we. Sweet. We could do whatever the hell we want. It's our podcast. Here's your advice. If you have to do any kind of family get-togethers this week. And... That's exactly what I was going to say. I was like, we should do Christmas Christmas advice on family get-togethers. Just realize that like, there's a front door and you can step outside for a minute without telling anyone why you need to step outside. Or you can find a bathroom and hide. Or the family pet. I love family doing that. Pet. Yes. Bella the cat and I are best friends. I'm not even sure that that's its cat, the cat's name, but I've named it Bella. So I do that with people. <laughs> this you is name my people? Joseph. I'm Aiden. What? Yeah, there's a guy at the store that's been coming to the store for a long time. His name is Justin, but he looks like an Andrew to me. So in real life, <laughs> I call him Andrew Justin, and he knows this. <gasps> okay. Shut up. John has a friend, and I couldn't ever remember his name. Turns out it's Justin, but I always wanted to call him Andrew. So now he's Andrew Justin. What is with that name combo? Are you lying? (laughs) No, I am not. If I describe him, would it be what he looks like? (laughs) Do it, do it, do it. Is he like 25 years old, kind of short, kind of stocky? No. Looks like he would be a football player in high school. No. This guy is like skinny, nerdy, and um, plays video games. No, there's Mm. more than one Andrew Justin. Wow. There is? 
I can't like believe Justin, it. Did Justin Bobby from The Hills? Did anybody watch The Hills? Was The Hills Miles. the one that was like scripted? <laughs> did you call me out specifically? Yes. I'm not mad. Pilot, <laughs> please. Was, Audrina was... and Lauren and Heidi and Spencer. Was Lauren Conrad. I know all those names. Like it. It was meant to look like a reality show. But, like, it was more scripted than scripted reality shows. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. I did yes. not watch all of it because yes. I get to this point. It's the same thing, like, with Teen Mom, where I can only t- take so many people, like, laying on couches and blankets complaining about things. Yes. Oh, why? That's me. We can't be friends anymore. Well, I mean, fair, but I can't watch it. Mm. Okay, fine. Like, yeah, I couldn't... I think it's... I just have like if you if you're if you're like living paycheck and to paycheck and you do that it's completely understandable. Yeah. But when you have people like handing you money for sitting on your couch wrapped up in a blanket, I mean technically I kind of do that because I paint <laughs> with a blanket on my couch. <laughs> Maybe I'm just digging myself into a really deep hole. But it but doesn't does, matter. That does remind me of some pop culture news I found out. Into it. Go. Uh, bam, 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 bam. Uh, okay. This is Think very obscure. This does hole. not. <laughs> this does not belong on this podcast. But I found it. Something. I don't know what I found it, but I read it. So there's a Teen Mom on Teen Mom Two. Her name is Janelle Evans, and her. Nicole, oh yeah, it is. Oh yeah, she was smoking the reefer with Kifa. With the with yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to quote it because you just quoted it and that would be like me being a douchebag no that's fine you can double quote me her <laughs> husband David Eason I think is his name uh, his house got raided by the FBI because <gasps> he's one crazy but he's like a gun nut and mm. he posted all these pictures of he thinks yeah. Donald Trump is coming for his for his guns. Oh yeah. that's the that's secret the last person that's coming for his guns. The Secret Service, Violet. Yeah, the Secret Service. That's right. That's right. Yep. Yep. Ew. And uh, yeah, and he posted he Instagram live the whole thing. His what? house getting like raided. Yeah. Okay. And he was like, Donald Trump, I love you, but also you can't take my guns. Oh He's, my. He also is allowed to be around children. Let's just. Did Janelle just like back out of the door slowly with her kids and go to Barbara's house, or does she? Oh no! Oh no! She's still no. Stand by, you man. I think he shot at her a couple weeks ago. Oh yeah, fair. Checks out. Girl, if anyone shoots at you, you do not have to be in a relationship with them. In fact, I would highly recommend that you are no longer in a relationship with them. She probably, like, pulled out her gun, though, because she got in trouble a a while back for following this guy that cut her off in traffic to his house. Oh, yeah. her gun out on him, and then she ran over his mailbox. (laughs) You guys, everybody needs to calm down. Deep breath, team moms. Deep breath, team moms. Really? Why can't everybody just be like Chelsea and just like pop out on a kid and own a pig and, and be cool? It was in the front seat. I get what you... Yeah, her son was right next to her the whole time while she did this. Oh, yeah. That was the big what thing. What the what? One more teen mom story. Oh. I guess. <laughs> For a teen mom podcast. Weekend, 
Yeah, over the weekend, Ryan from Teen oh. Mom oh, Ryan Edwards. was in Pigeon Forge over the Where weekend. Else? Celebrity? Yeah. <laughs> Did you see him? And then my friend that takes my friend that take care my friend that takes care of cabins. No, but it was on Twitter. My friend that takes care of cabins had somebody from Chattanooga lock their key. And so she think it was Ryan, and I was like, probably you should have taken that call. Because yes. he's from to does dumb shit because he's always on drugs. Always. Just saying. Could Could you Is Ryan Macy's ex ex baby daddy or yeah, I mean, yeah. baby daddy, but the baby daddy Bentley's dad. Up. Yeah, Bentley. Bentley, cutest kid. Um, uh, there was something. Could you imagine though? Really. You walk to the house and you're like, Whoa, are you Ryan Edwards from Teen Mom OG? And he's like, Yeah, that's me. And you're like, I just have some things to say because I really don't think the way that you treat Bentley is <laughs> I really don't think you handled yourself well. Yeah, you just like really lay into him. Dream. Dream. My friend would have done that. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> um, that's funny. We love her. So How did everybody do the Unsolved Mysteries thing? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Did we Better all? last time, but not as good as you guys. I paid... So I did the thing where I wrote down every story that I watched in an episode. See, so I, I think I did it right. Do that because I have to do details. One, like, story from an episode. Okay. That's cool. Sasha, what did, did you do? No additional details, but I wrote notes down this time. I know people's names. Don't judge that me. Was, and that the year was when Unsolved almost, Mysteries gives it to you? That was almost me. I was like, I, I'm just going to have to do one from memory. But then I looked out. <laughs> oh, my, oh, my God. I, color me impressed. Please do one from memory. <laughs> I did what Macy did, but I think I did it at a Cody level. Because I actually, not to toot my own horn, you guys know I'm always, always <laughs> like, guys, this is trash, get ready, brace yourself for garbage. This was such a good episode. I picked so freaking well. I was invested in every single story, and at first I was like, well, the next one's going to be dumb or silly. No, just as good. The one after that, just as good. Even the, like, they had, like, a little mini update in mind that I wrote about. I thought it was so good. I'm pumped. Yeah, me too. Should we get this started? Let's yeah, get it going. It it's time. It's time. Who loves unsolved mysteries? We do. Unsolved mysteries. I found this is a, a holiday conspiracy. episode. I found a conspiracy one about UFOs. Oh, yes. Oh. Tell us. Okay. So this is season three, episode 18, and it is from... February 6th, 1991. That's when it aired. Who's the host? Robert Stack, because he's my fave. Okay. And this aired on February 6th, 1991, but it's telling the story from December 29th of 1980. Of course it is. Yeah. Betty Cash and Vicky Landrum and uh, Vicky's grandson, Colby Landrum, 
Um, they were driving home to Dayton, Texas, and Cash's Oldsmobile Cutlass out. And these two ladies are old and adorable, and they are rocking some, like, color-blocked pastel 80s sweatshirts. And it makes me excited. Um, about 9 o'clock p.m., while driving on an isolated two-lane road in dense woods, the witnesses said they observed a tree. Initially thought it was an airplane approaching the Houston International Airport and gave it little notice. But a few minutes later, on the winding roads, the witnesses saw what they believed to be the same light as before, but thought it was now much closer and brighter. They said that the light came from a huge diamond-shaped object, which hovered at about treetop level, and that its base was expelling flame and emitting significant heat. Landrum told Cash to stop the car, fearing they would be burned if they approached any closer. Now, this wasn't in the Unsolved Mysteries, but it was on the Wikipedia page, which I'm using, and I had to add it in because it's, it's old people. And as a born-again Christian, Landrum interrupted or she interpreted, I'm sorry, the object as a sign of the second coming of Jesus Christ, telling Colby, that's Jesus. He will not hurt us. Thanks for that insight. (laughs) Okay. Somebody just texted me, so I hope it doesn't interfere here. Cash said that she was anxious and considered turning the car around, but abandoned this idea because the road was too narrow and she presumed the car would get stuck on the dirt shoulders, which were soft from that evening's rains. And this car was a giant, so it probably just would have gotten stuck. The adults said that they got out of the car to examine the object, but Colby, the little boy, was terrified. And so Landrum uh, quickly returned to the car to comfort him. But the other lady, Cash, remained outside, mesmerized by the bizarre sight. The witness said that the heat, and this is, um, this is Cash, said that the heat to make the car's metal body painful to the touch. Cash said that she had to use her coat to protect her hand from being burned when she finally got back in the car. When she touched the dashboard, Landrum claimed that her hand pressed into the softened vinyl of the dashboard, leaving it imprint that was evident weeks later. Investigators cited it as proof of the witness's account. However, no photograph of it exists. The witness then ascended over the treetops and rose higher in the sky and then a group of helicopters approached it surrounding it in tight formation counted 23 helicopters and later identified some of them as tandem Chinooks used by this world clear cash says she drove on claiming to see glimpses of the object in a helicopter disc this is where it gets weird the witnesses claimed after the ufo and helicopters left cash then retired that night, they reported and all experienced similar symptoms, though cash to a greater degree. And she was the one that stayed outside of the car and stared at it. Why, I don't know. The claim was that they suffered from nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, generalized weakness, a burning sensation in their eyes, and feeling as though they were suffering from sunburn. Over the next few days, symptoms worsened, with many large, painful blisters forming on her skin. 
When taken to a hospital emergency room on January 3rd, 1981, Clark writes, Cash could not walk and had a host of large patches on her skin and clumps of hair were falling out. She was released 12 days later, though her condition was not much better, and she later returned to the hospital for another 15 days. Cash claimed she was treated for cancer after being exposed to the radioactive UFO. The Landrum's help was not much better, and this is the other lady that stayed inside the vehicle with the little boy. Um, they both suffered from lingering weakness, skin sores, and hair loss. A, radi a radiologist who examined the witnesses said, we have strong evidence that these patients have suffered secondary damage to ionizing radiation. It is also possible that there was an infrared component as well. However, Brad Sparks contends that although the symptoms were somewhat similar to those caused by ionizing radiation, the rap rapidity of onset was only consistent with a massive dose that would have meant certain death in a few days. Since all of the victims lived for years after the incident, Sparks suggests the cause of symptoms was some kind of chemical contamination presumed by arsenal. They didn't explain who the Sparks guy was, but I'm assuming he was somebody that was like, oh, there's no such thing as UFOs. These people are crazy. Um, and other claims, investigators later located a Dayton police officer Detective Lamar Walker and his wife, who claimed to have seen 12 Chinook-type helicopters near the same area in which the Cash Landrum event allegedly occurred, and roughly at the same time. These other witnesses did not report seeing a large diamond-shaped object. One day in April 1981, a CH-47 flew into Dayton. As Colby watched, he came very upset. Landrum decided to take him to the spot where the helicopter had landed with the hope that it would seem less frightening on the ground. When they reached the landing zone, they found a lot of people there already and had to wait some time before they were allowed to go inside the helicopter and talk to the pilot. Landrum and another visitor both claimed that the pilot said he had been in the area before for the purpose of checking on a UFO in trouble near Huffman. When Landrum told the pilot how glad she was to see him because she had been one of the people burned by the UFO, he refused to talk to them further and then hustled them out of the aircraft. And also, like, they went back. They took um, a UFO investigator back to the road where their car was parked that night, and there was a huge burnt spot in the road. It was just, like, giantly burnt. And a couple of days later, these unmarked trucks came in and they dug up the road like, and hauled the chunks of burnt road off and then just fixed the road. And nobody knows like where they hauled the ore. Ash acted there to suggest this file a complaint with the Judge Advocate Claims Office at the Air Force Base. In August 1981, Cash, Landrum, and Colby were interviewed at length by personnel at the Air Force Base and were told that they should hire a lawyer and seek financial compensation for their injuries. When attorney Peter Gersten taking on the case pro bono, the case wound its way through the U.S. courts for several years. Cash and Landrum, Landrum sued the U.S. government for $20 million. On August 21, 1986, a U.S. District Court judge dismissed their case, noting that the plaintiffs had not proved that the helicopters were associated with the U.S. government and that the military officials had testified that the United States Armed Force did not have a large diamond-shaped aircraft in their possession.
Betty Cash died 18 later, 18 years later to the day. Like this happened on December 29th, 1980, and she died on December 29th, 1998, and she had all kinds of cancer throughout her body. The other lady, Vicki Landrum, lived until 2007, and Colby, who was the little boy, is still looking for answers, and he actually appeared on UFO Hunters in 2009, which I now want to watch that episode and see what he has to say, like see what he remembers. But that's my UFO conspiracy Christmas um, Unsolved Mysteries episode that I watched. I hope I didn't steal anybody's. No. No, but that is just another, uh, it always blows my mind that people don't believe in aliens because they are hands down like my biggest fear, especially because there's so much. My husband doesn't believe in shit, but he believes in aliens. Yeah, same. I think Violet's been here for one of my, and I might have ranted on the podcast, but like, you have to be beyond ignorant not to think that the world is as big as it fucking is, like the galaxy and the universe. And yeah. that we're the only beings in the entire place. Like, that is dumb. Yeah. Okay, done with that. I agreed. Agreed. But it's just yeah. crazy, because, like, other people saw this, too. And, like, they interviewed people around the area who also saw it. And all they wanted was help with their medical bills, because you can imagine the medical bills associated with that, even back in 1980. Yeah. Like, Medicare's not gonna cover that shit. Absolutely. <laughs> That's I just like that somebody saw a floating diamond in the sky and was like, That's Jesus. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I right. had to add that in there. I was like, they did not put that in Unsolved Mysteries, but that is spectacular. <sighs> it's too controversial. Old and They were from Texas, so... Yeah, they were. <laughs> you already know. It's funny too. One of the episode I did has a a really like it's an alien. It's a UFO story, and you're like, how do people still not believe this? Like, this is pretty. Ugh, people. I mean, the lady thought it was Jesus. Like that's how <laughs> unbelieved they were. You know, like change my mind it happened <laughs> that's pretty crazy to think about that it's more tangible for some people to think that <laughs> jesus is like a bunch of bright lights giving off radiation in the sky causing cancer <laughs> left and right the aliens like than anyone else existing except for america <laughs> yeah i think that and that was the aliens that were interfering with cody when she was in the Upside Down. I don't I'm think sorry. that was her new antenna. <laughs> don't tell the story. <laughs> I will cry forever. <laughs> if, like, if anything ever, like, oh my god. I never ever want to see an alien. I never, nope, nope, I'm totally okay. I want to die before they get here and murder us all. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so scared. Me too. <laughs> I'm so scared of aliens, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so scared of aliens, man. <laughs> the apes like fucks with me so bad. Okay, so if you can watch aliens, all of the most terrifying shit, and then you're like, "Planet of the Apes, aliens, get out of my face!" I don't want. It. I'm like really, really scared of of prime apes. They terrify me with every fiber of my being. Even the ones that play catch and cuddle with lions, I don't care. They're terrifying. And then like my double biggest fear is like 
alien apes coming down to Earth and enslaving us and taking back what is probably rightfully theirs because of evolution. I'm horrified. I seriously want to cry. I'm, I don't know why I brought this up. Don't cry, please. It's not worth it. It's not a real scenario. <laughs> Everyone's like, so I always thought Violet was crazy, but now I know she's crazy. No, I just don't know how to handle when other people cry in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> Mind fear. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was just like, oh boy, another alien kick, Violet. <laughs> no, no. So, Violet's is also about aliens. Maisie, is yours about aliens? Mine is not about aliens, but I think we should end with Violet's because it has a update. Mine? Yeah, doesn't it? Isn't it awesome? Well, so <clears throat> I went ham on mine. Like I, I was like, oh, I'm just gonna do like one or two, like no big deal, and I just won't pay attention to the last ones or whatever. But no, they were so good. So there's um technically one, two, um three, three that are unsolved. One that is solved in an update from, like, so there was an episode that aired, like, months before this one. Mm. And they were like, by the way, in case you were wondering, we have an update on this story that we aired, and it's so cool. That one's really <gasps> short, but. Okay. Mine has four stories. What is yours, house, Sasha? And there's no aliens. <laughs> Let's do yours. Do okay. we to go next? Yes. I want to apologize because the first story in this episode was about... A hidden treasure cave in Japanese tunnels in the Philippines, like because Japan attacked the Philippines at one point, yes. and uh, Japan hid a bunch of gold and shit in tunnels they dug underneath the country. Uh, and then when they left, they didn't want anyone to have it, so they just put a bunch of dynamite in there, like including dynamiting some of their own soldiers in the tunnels. And they Whoops. found this like golden Buddha, and then the president of the Philippines was like, "No, that's fucking mine." And they, like, kidnapped and tortured the guy. Anyway, that was the first story, and I didn't get any details on it. But Man. Uh, he never got his Buddha back. But he is suing the Filipino government now. And he said any money he wins from the settlement will go to a foundation he's already set up for kids to get medicine and education in the Philippines. So oh, nice. I guess I just told you that story. But anyway. What's your season and episode, and who was your host? 515 and the regular guy. Robert Stack, the old man? Yes. Or Dennis Farina, another old man with a mustache. <laughs> That's no true. Mustache. Okay, Robert Stack it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there is one detail in the story that uh, Unsolved Mysteries does not mention, uh, and I'll tell you that at the end. But uh, 18-year-old Kate Arquette, was uh, graduating high school and enrolled in the University of New Mexico. Uh, she decided to move in with her boyfriend before she went to college. Uh, she could afford this apartment because she won some money in an insurance settlement. Settlement. Um, the boyfriend was eight years older. I don't remember his name because I didn't write it down, and he turns out to be a piece of shit. Uh, but they lied to her family and told her that, told her family that he was only four years older. 
uh, in July of that year. So if she graduated in May, not too, too long after, it was like almost immediately after they moved in together, um, they started fighting. So Kate went back to her mom and said, hey, if he comes here, don't tell him where I am. Um, I'm just going to go out to dinner with my friends and I'll either stay at their house or come back home to you. And she stayed at dinner with her friends until 1045 that night. I wish I knew what year this was, and I apologize. It's definitely nowhere in my notes. Um, but she left dinner with her friends at 1045 and was heading in the direction of her mom's house. Sometime in between leaving and getting to her mom's house, which she didn't do, she was approached either by a person uh, while she was at a stop or by another car and shot twice in the head. She was found before midnight, didn't die immediately, um, but was in a coma, so they took her to the hospital. They were able to bring her mom um, to her, luckily, so that was great. Um, they went to tell her boyfriend, because he wasn't a suspect at the time, or yeah, no, he ends up being a suspect, the husband always does it, um, and he claimed that he was home alone at the time. The police arrived at his house at 5 in the morning the next day, and uh, he was like, oh, I was here the whole night. My friends came over. We had dinner and a couple of drinks and played some games. Not video games, card games. It was that old. Um, all of a sudden, her boyfriend says she finds this note on the kitchen, and it's a note from Kate saying that, oh, she loves him. She'll be home later. Don't worry about her. Um, she ends up dying a month later. This is where she gets weird. Um, like, within minutes of her dying, three calls are made from her apartment uh, to a lawyer, a Vietnamese lawyer. Her boyfriend, who also shared the apartment with her, was at the hospital. Who was making those calls? Um, her boyfriend was also Vietnamese. Um, and as... Her mom starts trying to, I think her name's Lori Duncan, um, as her mom's trying to figure out what's going on, she's like begging the cops to look into her boyfriend, she finds out from Kate's sister that the insurance settlement that Kate got was actually part of an insurance scam. Um, apparently Kate rented the car, they staged an accident, not to Kate's knowledge, um, but they staged an, an accident in the Vietnamese gangs in California, uh, T t like got a lot of the money the the lawyer was involved somehow the same lawyer that ended up getting called so that was super weird um they keep investigating and it turns out the note that was left on the counter was not from kate at all by handwriting analysis which we know is not actually that useful anymore um Apparently, Kate and her boyfriend fought all the time, uh, especially about his friends, also Vietnamese guys, um, and they would make fun of her and didn't want her to hang around, and um, it was a huge point of contention. He said that they weren't teasing her or anything like that, and she was overreacting, um, but she said that they were. Um, they think that Kate, or her mom thinks, that Kate got an idea of what happened in this insurance scam and was going to tell someone about it and that's why she was leaving her boyfriend um and they killed her in response and that that call made to the lawyer was saying hey you're fine we we took care of the problem Whew. 
The detail that Unsolved Mysteries did not include is that Kate Arquette's mom, Lori Duncan, was a mystery slash murder novel writer. Oh man, you don't never, oh, no. yeah, would have never thought that like anything like that would have happened to her kid. I'm pretty sure I just watched that one recently, and I remember it, and it was crazy. It's crazy. And why would they leave out the murder murder mystery book writer thing? I don't like, know. It's the best part. <laughs> That's insane. But yeah, she she'd pushed the investigators to do a lot of the investigation, and like she was the one that called and got the phone logs. It was craziness dang that's really weird yep how are you like shot and killed while driving a car like so scary Ugh. terrifying yep Ugh. so scary but they caught him right i mean the mystery is still unsolved to this day. Oh. The boyfriend walked free. Really? There was not enough evidence no. to convict him. Ugh. Yep. The mystery is solved. Probably and sad. Lori just died fairly <laughs> recently. Oh. And she never got to find out. No. But I mean, oh, I guess she honey. knew. But yeah. Didn't even get to start college. Super that sad. Is... Girls don't like... move in with anyone ever. <laughs> stay home with <laughs> your moms, unless your mom is gross. And, and then get don't cats. stay home with your mom. It's gross. <laughs> like gross, I mean like abusive or. It's not cool, not chill. Gross, just gross. Not down with Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> you can't live here, mom. <laughs> can't sit with me. Can't sit with me. Wow. This is season seven, episode thirteen, and I was just like derping around and trying to pick the one that sounded the most interesting. And it turns out that this, what? Your host. Oh, Robert Stack. Duh. There is no other host except for Dennis Farina. We like him. I was like, dang, <laughs> I've got two <laughs> Dennis Farina episodes. <laughs> no, it's cool. It's Robert Stack. Um, the episode aired in nineteen ninety-five, January thirteenth. Um, this was a special that Unsolved Mysteries was doing, and it was the Mysteries of the Psychic Mind. And I just happened to land on it. I was like, okay, we gotta go there. So, these are all, like, psychic-ish kind of stories. Um, the first one comes out of Pennsylvania. Don't ask me what year. They didn't say, so I don't know. Um, young man. Don't know his age. They just called him a young man. Don Decker. Um... It, I, this is okay. It's just weird. I've never heard of it before. Bizarre showers followed him. Literally, rain would follow him wherever he went. The actor in the first scene, they're sitting in a diner, and this sick guy looks so sad, and he's like with three other friends at a booth, and it's just raining on him. They called him the Rain Man. Um, nine credible witnesses, including cops, can attest to wherever Don Decker was, it seemed to be raining. That's it. <laughs> On to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> what? Also, I don't think Rain Man might be the best nickname. Because no, it's not. Like Dennis Hoffman counting cards for Tom Cruise. I like spaced out for two seconds, but I think I got that whole story. That's, I mean, that's it. <laughs> for a second, Talk I was. 
I like brain farted and I was like, was that Maisie's only story? Like she was like, Alright guys, I got a great one for you. Bring the man. <laughs> That's it. Bring man. <laughs> Goodbye. Um, I don't think they said any kind of a term for it because it's not anything that anybody's ever seen again. <laughs> right on. So <laughs> they were like, Rain just follows them. It's weird. <laughs> 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 this is this is the magic of unsolved mysteries because the next story and the story after that has so much detail. This first one's like we kind of got a snippet and they let us talk to the guy and the cop. So, all right. Yep. This Season seven. You, Rain Man. This, this one's is. For you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can verify it. I I did watch that one. Oh, I, really? I thought Cody was like, I know someone, and I was like, whoa, we are about to yeah. trigger some people that have, like, this rain disorder that I've never heard of. That's so funny. I'm so glad you've seen it, Cody, and you, I was just, like, sitting there going, is it real? Even though it rained. <laughs> yeah. It's just raining on it's him. Crazy. He's depressed. Um, okay, so the next story fizzles into a story about Janine Price. Um, from Long Beach, California. At the age of 10, Janine had an overwhelming feeling that she had a sister that she hadn't met yet. She grew up a single, um, single kid. <laughs> she had no siblings growing up. And, uh, so she was like, I feel like I have a sister somewhere. And she keeps asking her mom about it, and her mom is just vacuuming the living room and ignores her. So she goes and snoops around her parents' room, and literally the first thing she touches is a scrapbook that just says scrapbook on the front. <laughs> I love on some mysteries. <laughs> and on not the first, but the second page is a picture of a little girl, and Janine is like, this is the little girl that I've been seeing. So she takes the picture down to her sit down there, down the stairs to her mother. Okay, words. We're going to do it. And she's like, Mom, who is this? And she's like, how did you get this? She was like, in your room on, like, the first book on the nightstand called Scrapbook. And she's not that sassy, but or I would be. And um, so her mom's like, sit down. I got to tell you, this is your half-sister. So this is your father's other daughter. She's like, whoa, cool, okay. And then she, as a 10-year-old, she tells her mom that, when she meets her half-sister one day, um, her half-sister is going to die shortly after. And her mom's like, mm-hmm, okay, what? Maybe just eh. don't meet your half-sister then. <laughs> yeah, right? Maybe just, like, save her life and, you know, you don't really need to meet her. Um, the half-sister's name is Judy, by the way. She was like, so um, Judy's going to die shortly after we meet, and it's going to be because her brain is bleeding. And her mom's like, Mm, don't know what to do with that, so we're gonna ignore it. And <laughs> just like cool, go eat your cocoa puffs. Yeah, yeah. I... My parents addressed my childhood. I have to vacuum the living room again for the third time. Um, so life goes on. She grows up. She's an adult. Twenty years later, she meets Judy for the first time, and they become instantly best friends, and they love each other so much. And it was like they were never separate. And it's really sweet, and it's really sad. And then a year after Judy and Janine meet up, um, Judy is admitted to the hospital for extreme headaches. And in real, well, in real life, 
1995 when the episode aired, Janine is doing the interview and she said, I didn't feel like it was my place to tell Judy that she was going to die. And I was like, I mean, who who wants that kind of a pressure, though? You didn't even, like, like, give the girl a heads up. Be like, oh, yeah. man, you suffer from really bad migraines. She's just curious, asking for a friend. As it, Well, that's what the doctor said it was, that it was um, migraines. And Janine, even though she knows what's going to happen to her sister, she freaks out. She's, like, telling the doctors, like, can you do an MRI? Like, can we do some x-rays on her brain? Like, we need to do something else. And she's so... Um, persistent with the doctors that they have her escorted out by security, which is a total dick move, if you ask me. But also, I've never worked a day in a hospital, so don't at me. I'm sorry. Um, the doctors have her escorted, and on August 8th, 1980, Judy Kelly Price died from an aneurysm at age 35. So, Janine was right all along, and as she grew up, and uh, started to have kids, and, you know, anytime she would get into a stressful situation or life would be stressful, she um, kind of fizzled away from, like, the premonition type of stuff, and things in her hand would, like, start exploding. So this was around the time when they didn't have a term for, like, telekinesis or um, psychokinesis. And they basically were like, well, this is what we're going to call this because this is what these two words mashed together means. So whenever she was under a stressful situation, there was one instance where she was like pouring coffee and she was kind of heated about something and she turned around with the coffee pot and the coffee pot shattered. And just like something about how the brain is with the like electric waves in the room that you're in can cause stuff like that, but only in certain people, which I thought was pretty insane. Um, There was one where they interview her mom, and her mom was like, there was one day she was in the kitchen ironing, and she was just ironing, like, so, like, aggressively. Like, she was really annoyed because the boys were bothering her and stuff like that, and the mom, like, looks at her while she's ironing, and she looks down to the cord, and the cord's not plugged in, but she's been ironing the whole time. So her energy is feeding the iron. <laughs> yeah, so she, and that's all mysteries to wrap it up. She says one day she would like to be able to harness her skills to help people because she's, she's seen it done before. So I didn't Google to see what Janine Price is up to now, but. Don't we all just want to harness their skills to help people? I mean, for real, though. All right. Edda Smith, Burbank, California, 32 years old. Mm, don't know the year. Sorry. I thought I wrote it down. I guess I didn't. She is working at an aerospace facility. She's at her desk. She is, all of a sudden, she becomes overwhelmed with this feeling of dread. And then she hears on the radio at her desk that, um, like, a announcement about a missing person. Uh-oh. The mi- <laughs> oh, nailed it. The missing person <laughs> is a 31-year-old. It's her. It's her. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be a trip? It was me all along. Um, the missing person is 31-year-old nurse Melanie Uribe. Um, she had not been seen for days. Police have been searching, and Edda hears the announcement that police are searching houses, and Edda says out loud at her desk, she's not in a house. 
Like, nobody's around. She's not talking to anyone, but she said in her mind, it was like a response that needed to happen out loud. So, um, Etta begins having a vision of, like, a canyon and a dirt road and there's shrubbery. And then in the shrubbery, there's a white object. Sorry, I have to burp, and I'm really trying not to. It's going to pass. Um... So she is seeing this while she's sitting at her desk. She goes home that night. She's seeing this in, like, a dream form. Um, She goes to police the next day, and she's like, look, I have seen this vision of where um, Melanie Uribe might be, and we need to, like, we need to go check it out. And at first, the detective was like, okay, like, all right, sure, fine. But they... Um, kind of entertain the idea. Um, so they take her to a map in the squad room and they're like, where do you think that the, you know, where do you think the body is? And she points to, on a map of LA County, she points to um, Lopez Canyon. And even though the police seem to um, acknowledge Edda's ability, she decided that they weren't moving fast enough. So, Etta takes her daughter to Lopez Canyon. <laughs> she takes her daughter as, like, a witness. <laughs> her daughter's, like, 15 on the show. It doesn't actually say her age, but she's young. Um, they're headed up the canyon, and they see, like, fresh tire tracks off to the side of, a, like, an embankment. And... Etta feels like she needs to pull over so she can touch the dirt from the tire tracks. And so she goes and touches the dirt and she gets this another overwhelming feeling of like fear. And, you know, this is where, you know, this is where it happened. And her daughter's like, okay, but can we like leave now? So they're headed back down the Canyon and um, her daughter thinks that she sees something in the shrubbery. So they pull off to the side and they go up a little, like a little hill and they find what they see first is white nurse's shoes. And so they found um, Melanie's body. Uh, Melanie had been beaten, raped, and strangled to death. And the autopsy confirmed that it was, in fact, Melanie. Um, that day, so they find the body. They straight away go to the police. and. Uh, Etta is at the police station. They're questioning her, and they have her tell her story. And she's like, I just figured it was part of, you know, what they did. And then they had her tell the story again and again and again and again. And so um, she was like, that's when I realized that I was uh, now a suspect. So all, like, all evening, she is with the police. She's exhausted. You know, she's getting whatever junk food they give her. And she's telling them, like, the same story over and over again, because that's what's true to her. And she is, uh, you know, she's getting stressed out. She's getting frustrated. She's like, I'll take a polygraph test. I'll do it right now. So at 12 a.m. that day, that same day that she found the body, and it takes two polygraph tests and passes them both. Um, 
the police just don't buy that someone that knows so much would not be involved. And so at 5 a.m., that same span of time, so she finds the body, goes to the police station, takes two polygraph tests at 12 a.m., and then at 5 a.m., she is officially charged and arrested for the murder of Melanie Uribe. Uribe. Um, what? Yeah, so the police tell her that she has failed her polygraph test. And she is in the cell. She is, like, at, on the Unsolved Mysteries when they were taking her to her cell, she was like, I didn't even, like, I don't even care. I'm just tired. Like, I know I didn't do it. You guys got to figure out your shit, but I'm exhausted. And so, <clears throat> um, Edda sat in jail for four days, and the detectives come to her, and they were like, look, we fudged up. And uh, they tell her that two young men had confessed to the murder, and Edda was absolved of all charges and free to go. And on that assault mystery, she, like, walks out of the cell and eyes the detective, and I really wanted her to flip him off, but she doesn't. But <laughs> after that, uh, Edda was a trusted psychic for the LA, LA County Police Department and <laughs> has uh, since helped police served in several other, that didn't make sense at all, has helped police with several other cases since 1980 to 1995 when the episode aired. Isn't that nuts? Uh, That's yeah. that they lied to her to try to get a confession out. Uh, well, I mean, uh, yeah. Oh my god. That's not gonna fun. She's in jail for four days. They were like, oh yeah, our bad. Like, people confess. And there's no fucking punishment for it. No. No. They're untouchable. Okay, this is the last one. Um, James Van Prague is your everyday um... My God, what are they called? Why didn't I write this word down? When you have a loved one and you want to talk to them, a Ouija board, a psychic. You go to a yeah, it's a psychic, but it's like a certain. Oh, I don't know. Fortune teller. No, I should have written it down. That was a real dick move of me. This one's not that interesting. It doesn't top the last one. But this, this guy's not a medium. It is a medium, but there's like a different psycho. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Like a, you know, like a medium type person. Like this mom and dad is like our son. This was an actual thing. Our son died. Um, He had a mount climbing accident on Mount Fuji. And uh, so they call this guy, James Van Prague. And they're like, can you help us connect our son? And they, he tells them all this legit information, and then he was he starts talking about some pictures at the base of Mount Fuji, and they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. We've never seen them. And he's like, oh, weird. Well, those are that's his favorite picture. And so they were like, the you know they were like it went really well except for the whole picture thing. We don't understand it, so we think he might not be legit. And then a couple of days later, in the mail, they get um, pictures sent to them from Japan, from his, um, like, mountain climbing group. And sure enough, all the pictures that the guy had mentioned were in the package. And they're like, oh, my God, he was right. And so Unsolved Mysteries was like, uh, we don't know if we buy it yet. So Unsolved Mysteries actually sets up a 10-people seance. And they plant 
they plant a couple in there, but have them sit on opposite sides of the room. So, like, he has to be able to tell if they're connected or not. They plant um, this guy named Michael Shermer, who does some kind of, like, paranormal psychologist study person. Um, six out of ten people uh, believe that Prague was able to connect with loved ones and gave them, like, correct information. And Michael Shermer, it was so, it's not funny, but there was a couple, the couple that sat separately, they, um, James Van Prague actually, like, called him out and was like, isn't that your wife? Shouldn't you be sitting over there? And it flashes to the Michael Shermer guy, and he's like, okay, yeah, but would you not be making eye contact with your partner if you're sitting at a seance and he's, like, saying weird stuff? I was like, yeah, true, fair point. So. The couple that were sitting separately, they're sitting out together. They had actually lost their son, whose name was Kevin. And I think he was like 15 years old and he had been shot multiple times related to gun violence or um, gang violence. And uh, so the mom has this necklace that's the letter K and black diamonds. And the James Van Prague guy is like, you're here for your son, right? Does his name start with a K? I'm seeing a big K. And they start crying, and then it flashes to the, you know, the Michael Shermer guy, and he's like, okay, but she's wearing a necklace that says K. Like, <laughs> help me help you. So, um, basically, it turns out this guy is seemingly legit, but you can be skeptical and not believe it if you want. He's not, it doesn't seem like he's scamming people. It seems like people are, you know, they get some kind of a healing from it. And I think it's totally a legit thing. I just don't know if he's totally a legit thing, you know? I agree. Six so. out of ten is not super high, though. I'm not throwing it around there. No, it's not. But, I mean, I can't imagine having a child and losing a child. And then if someone tells me that, you know, if I'm in a certain place and someone's like, hey, this is what they said, I'd be like, yeah, that's definitely what they would say. You know, so who are we to judge? I just hope this guy wasn't taking advantage of people. True, true. That's it. That is the mysteries of the psychic mind. All right, Violet, what you got? Um, I think because of how lengthy all of mine are, um, because I got way into it, I'm gonna try and like drunk history this except not drunk history, and it's an audio podcast, so like I'm really just gonna tell it really poorly. Um, but try and give you all the facts. Love your life. Alright. Season, episode, host. Boom. I had Dennis Farina. I had my boy Dennis Farina from New Girl fame as Nick Miller's dad, as we discussed last time, I'm pretty sure. Yeah! Uh, And mine was episode 22 of season 4. Get it. Uh, okay. So, on December 26th, through the 28th, that's right, there's depth to this one, no. Um, uh, Rendlesham Forest, England, uh, at Woodbridge Air Force Base. So, this guy named John Burroughs, who's like an airman first class, and his partner, uh, Yuram Putin. Hey! Yeah, um, they're on patrol when they see uh, bright lights around 2am. Burroughs described it to look like a light show. And he immediately notified his superiors um, within minutes. So another security team, like, patrol team, 
right next door had seen the same thing and they like met up and they were like whoa bro did you see the lights and they were like yeah dude let's check it out i hope they said bro and dude in their english accents (laughs) well it was weird because john burroughs was like very southern even in his actor he was like anyways he still didn't say bro or dude but uh so um, they had to leave their weapons behind, though, because they were about to move out of jur- American jurisdiction. Uh, John claims to, this, these are his words, I can't even drunk history this, he was like, them animals were just all in a ruckus. Um, them animals. <laughs> so, like, animals around the lighty stuff, like, going bonkers. Uh, during this, the patrol teams receive a radio notification letting them, uh, know that there has been an aircraft uh, sighted over the base and then it quickly disappeared. But they were still seeing the lights in the forest. Uh, so as the teams turned the corner, they were met by an object uh, with like an underlighting of blue lights. Uh, they jumped to the ground and as the machine you know, they jumped to the ground and then the machine like lifted up into the trees and like started dodging all around them, like, on the tree line. They followed it for two hours and tried to catch it. I'm not sure what they were going to catch it with, but they did. <laughs> Big old fishing net. <laughs> I'm going to catch that there aircraft. Um, <laughs> so the next morning, uh, the, like, people that noticed that there were all these, like, unidentified flying objects, they were like, you got to go to your superiors and give a report. And John Burroughs was like, ooh, I don't know about that. No one is going to believe the shit that I have seen. Um, but eventually him and his partner Poutine uh, uh, gave the report. So when they reported their story, so both teams wound up giving like a full run down of what happened. And the head guy was like, well, I, I don't really believe that. So I'm going to send out... Um, an investigation team to survey the area. Um, they even brought in the English police force. This was uh, unsolved mysteries words. I don't know if they brought in Scotland Yard or what, but <laughs> somebody was there. I'm not trying to trigger anybody if I just called the English police department not Scotland Yard. Anyways, um, so they found. Uh, three circular deep impressions into the ground where the uh, craft was first sighted, but the police were like, nah, that was just animals digging around like craziness. And uh, they were like, but just to be sure, we'll like measure the distance in between the three indentions. And it turned out that they were exactly the same distance apart and formed a perfect equilateral triangle. Ooh, it's a tripod. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> yep. Um, later that morning, uh, Colonel Charles Holt, uh, the deputy base commander, showed up at the airbase, and he was like, yo, I'm, like, the town skeptic. I'm here to debunk this. Like, I do not buy that it was friggin' aliens, you madmen. We're men of the military. Get your shit together. Anyways. Um, <laughs> so, he, like, he gets the team to set up these things called LIDALs, but they're pretty much like giant-ass floodlights. He's like, light this forest up. I'm ready. Um, and so later that night, reports of strange lights were spotted again, but Colonel Holt was like, Mm-mm, turn on those floodlights. 
However, for some reason, the lights malfunctioned after only a few seconds and would not turn back on. Mm-hmm. He, he assembles a special investigation team who were quick to set up another set of light alls. They ain't gonna work. But by the time they got to the edge of the forest line, they also stopped working. Yeah! Um, also, vehicles and radio transmissions were malfunctioning. So Captain Holt was like, okay, I got a tape recorder, I got a Geiger counter, and a night vision scope. Let's do this. <laughs> so, suddenly, a strange glowing object appeared and began luring them deeper into the woods. Yes! Before they stumbled upon an old farmhouse. Uh, it was then that the Geiger counter was giving off a two, which according to Captain, or Colonel, sorry, Colonel Holt, uh, it's higher than like your general just like existing radiation. Captain like, no. Holt is Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. Now I can only see him in this situation. I mean, yeah, it's great. Nine-Nine fans. Um, he said that the farmhouse started to be glowing and it almost looked like it was on fire. Then the object sprung out of the house, broke into five pieces, and shot into the sky and vanished. Then three different new lights appeared in the sky and began projecting beams of light onto the ground. Um, and one landed, like, right in front of Colonel Holt's feet, and he was like, whoa, not okay, what is this? Um, at 3.30 a.m., John Burroughs awoke in his quarters, claiming he felt something was happening. That was his words in the in the episode too, he was like, I don't know why, but I just knew something was happening. I love um, it. He ran to the base before seeing the light, a light coming towards uh, him. 300 yards away, Colonel Holt experienced a pencil size. I already talked about that. Whoops. Anyway, so all this light show stuff is happening. It's going bonkers. People are running around. Floodlights are flashing on and off. So that was weird when the light like went to attack John Burroughs. Not attack, but go towards. Uh, the floodlights turned on. And then they immediately turned back off and the light disappeared. Um, so the next morning, uh, Colonel Holt was like, okay, I have to send a memo to the like British Air Force and let them know what happened. So he did, and he's like, I can't explain it. I don't want to say it's aliens, but, like, I have no idea what that was. Um, but they disregarded it, and then they hid it and claimed that it was lost. So Colonel Holt goes down there, and he's like, hell no. Give me my memo. I know it was real. I want people to know about this. And they're like, oh, JK, we actually just found it. Here it is. We'll send <laughs> this um, to our, like, specialist. And the specialist was like, yo, no reason to freak out. It was a meteor shower. Mm. Uh, he was the head of two observatories, the guy that was like, just a meteor shower, no big deal. Um, and he said that the beams of light at their feet were just reflections from, like, the base, reflecting off the meteors. <laughs> from the rocks. <laughs> and Colonel Holt was straight up like, Meteors don't go up. They only go down. I don't understand this. But it was never brought up again. <laughs> <laughs> and that's literally the end of that story. <laughs> and then there was just a rain cloud that followed it. 
and he was the new Rainman. Colonel and that, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> he was sad because someone caught his aliens. Um, the end. So the next one, I'm trying to rapid fire these guys. I'm sorry. I know these no, episodes are always long. I love it. They're specials. Special. Um. All right. So August 9th. Yep, okay. August 9th, 1993 in... Oh, man, I'm going to mess this up. McCarricker? Oh, I actually nailed it. State Park, California. (laughs) Um, uh, A car is found stuck in the mud. The car radio has been ripped out. Small traces of blood are found on the dashboard in the front seat, along with uh, a shredded, like, driver's license and torn-up pictures. Uh, Christy Kreps at 22 was a chef that worked a mere seven miles away from where the car was found. Um, little backstory before we get back to the car stuck in the mud. Uh, more later. Let's see. Um, uh, so after she graduated from high school, she began working at a local restaurant and fell in love with a married man. Three Uh-oh. years before her, their, the car, sorry, spoiler, the car was found. Um, Christy began fantasizing about marrying this man and, like, totally fell in love with him. I was like, oh, dang. Stay away. Yeah. That's not love. That's infatuation. And the pain you feel is because of the imaginary relationship you have created with me. They actually kind of said that. They were like, actually, she wasn't in love. She was, like, infatuated, maybe a little bit obsessed. Anyway, so she gets, like, a quote from Adventure Time, if anyone is wondering. (laughs) Princess Bubblegum says that. I'm sorry. Very fitting, though. I love that you just um, knew it off the dome. <laughs> I know, that's good. Princess Bubblegum is my favorite. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Chrissy Krebs, uh gets lost in her fantasy dreamland of marrying this already married man, and she loses her way before her car becomes stuck in the mud. And she's like, uh-oh, I better get out. And then all of a sudden, her car ignites in flames. What the what? She is barely able to escape it before it freaking explodes. Oh my god, I have a guess. Um, the event sent sends Christy into like a mass panic, and she's freaking out, and she uh, leaves the car. They find the car, and then the morning after, rail ro- railroad workers, wow, um, uh, find her wandering along the tracks. She's, like, really dazed and, like, isn't making sense. She keeps, like, repeating things, and people said that she was, like, chanting, so her parents uh, come to get her, and she's immediately taken to a hospital. Um, she was tested. She was acting so weird. Her mom was like, she's on, like, hard drugs. Like, she's hallucinating whole nine yards. Um, But all the tests came up super clean. Um, Over the next few months, Christy was in and out of the hospital uh, before she was diagnosed with a trauma-induced mental breakdown. Um, After six months of therapy and medication, Christy was released, and her therapist recommended that she go back to work, but only part-time, and she was told not to work more than 20 hours a week because they were afraid that it was the work, like her job. uh, How do I get that, doctor? Yeah, right. (laughs) Who wants to tell me to only work 20 hours a week? Um, She... She eventually wound up working 
so she goes back to work and she's like, oh, this is kind of boring. So she nabs another part-time job and winds up starting to work at least 12 hours a day. Uh, despite her parents' worries, Christy's like, nah, I'm good. I got this. Making that money, making that paper. Um, that is until three years later, she disappeared after driving down a dirt road a mere seven miles away from where her car previously caught fire. Um, let's see. So the authorities believe that before she had been in her car, she changed into her gym clothes and her work clothes were found sopping wet, but neatly folded in the backseat. Um, over another year, there were sightings of her in Texas, Utah, and finally in California, just outside of, uh, Visalig. California, a man picked up a hitchhiker that looked a lot like Christy. The man noticed two slashes on her wrist, and she said she experienced a breakdown after an abusive boyfriend. She went missing at age 22 and is still missing to this day. She'll be 48 on December 29th. That's the end of that one. <laughs> and her clothes never dried. <laughs> Well, I thought that was weird that it's like her clothes were super, super wet, but there wasn't, I mean, it was muddy, but I don't I mean, know. I fold things obsessively, so, <laughs> but that might be a sign of OCD, which she might have also had. It's great. And just not been properly diagnosed with. Yep. As Bizarre. most people aren't. Oh, oh, oh no. Podcast yawn. <laughs> Raise your hand if you just yawned. Audio podcast. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Right. Worked for me. Um, so this is uh, maybe my favorite. I don't know. The last one's kind of cool. Uh, I got kind of a, a mixed bag because I got an alien story. And the next story is a cult. Yes! A cult. Violet doing a cult. Feed me. All right, we start out in Liberty, Missouri. I don't think I got the dates for these for this one. I'm so sorry. Um, there is a lot of info on this one, though, so if you want to look it up yourselves, tight. Um, just before midnight at the uh, compound of a local religious group, Julie Cooper, at age 22, makes a phone call to a man named Tim Santi, who she had only met one time prior to that phone call. Uh, she tells him that she has been taken hostage by a cult by the name of the DeCloud family. For 16 years, a group of 30 men, women, and children have lived on a commune on the outskirts of town. Uh, they are pretty tame, supposedly, and no one knows much about them. Julie convinces Tim to come and rescue her from the cult in that very, that very same night. She was crouched down in the grass with a trash bag full of clothes when she jumped into Tim's car and Frank frantically begged him to drive as fast away as possible. Uh, Nelson DeCloud was an ex-police officer that claimed he was uh, not a messiah, but the messiah. He said mm. he was God's son, so he was like next in line for the, the job. Um, Julie's family joined the cult when she was just six years old. At a mere ten years old, she was um, forced to watch DeCloud, the leader of the cult, um, watch uh watch him have sex with a female member of what he called the family so he called his followers his family and the family 
Um, he began convincing the little girl to have sex with him because it was what God would have wanted and even mentioned that Mary was uh, 14 years old when she gave birth to Jesus. God. Which, homeboy, I don't know if you read the Bible, but Mary was a virgin, so get fucked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyways. Uh, one day he walked her out into a wooded area with no food, no water, no jacket. And left her there in the cold for eight hours. Uh, when Nelson finally came and brought her back, another female member was like, um, what the fuck are you doing? Like, she's a child. You need to calm down. Uh, he reacted um, very aggressively and pulled her out in front of the family and started, like, beating her and cutting her hair off and pretty much, like, humiliating her. And said it was an example of what would happen to anyone who disobeyed his orders or questioned his methods. Later that same day, Nelson found Julie and asked if she was finally ready, and she said yes. Ready um, for what? To have sex. That's what I thought. Gross. Sorry. Um, she was forced to be one of his sex slaves until she... Or no. Yeah. She was... That was the thing. Uh, but she attempted her first escape on foot at age 15. So she had been in the shindig, you know, since she was six. So nine years, right? Um, and she was just like, nope, I'm out. Uh, Nelson found, sent out a search party and eventually found her. And he handcuffed her, threw her into the back of the uh, truck, and took her back to the commune. That night, they had a bonfire, and she was ordered to take off her clothes in front of the entire family, and then was severely beaten. In front of her parents? Yep. Where are your parents? Watching. Just... I'm mad at her parents. What the fuck? Yeah. Uh, so, seven years passed before she was told to uh, contact a satellite repairman to come to the commune to fix their satellite dish. <laughs> Very practical of them. <laughs> Um, the name of this man was Tim Santi, or Santi, I don't know. Um, that was the guy. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> Tim oh, stated, from the beginning. Oh, I get it. Yeah, okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> Tim stated, uh, in the show, they asked him, like, so they introduced him to Nelson as their god. They were like, oh, and this is our god, Nelson uh, De Cloud, and he was like, okay, whatever. Like, pretty much <laughs> blew him off. Could not care two shits about this guy. Um, he did, however, find uh, the girl making phone calls to be very, very cute. Uh, and Julie said that she found his uh, disdain and, like, kind of uncaring nature towards Nelson very charming. Which, fair. <laughs> yeah, if everybody else in your life is like, oh, all hail Nelson to cloud. And this guy's like, whatever, just here to fix your dish. Right. <laughs> you can move out of the way. <laughs> um, let's see. So a couple of weeks had passed, and Tim decides to call uh, the compound and ask for Julie. Um, he asked her out on a date and said he wasn't able to stop thinking about her. Aww. And she was like, uh, about that. I really can't. She said, at the earliest, I can, like, date you in, like, a year. 
and he was like, um, okay. <laughs> uh, he said he thought she was just like blowing him off. <laughs> then he was like, blink once if you need out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Um, I was gonna say like, man, that sucks that you can't like call your dad you're in a cult, but like, yeah, I guess right. you can call your satellite provider you can call larry the cable guy he's kind of like dad (laughs) so shortly after like the next day i think was when julie made the phone call and was like come and get me at 115 i'll be hiding in the bushes let's do this um so tim did (laughs) he was just like yeah absolutely i'm gonna save you from this cult that's crazy um before the sun had even risen, uh, Nelson and another member went looking for Julie. Because Tim nabbed her up and was like, "Let's peace out, okay? This had me in stitches. I was like cracking up at the reenactment. I tried to take a video, but it was just going to spoil it. So go <laughs> back and watch this. Freaking great. I will. <laughs> uh, so... They were claiming, Nelson and his, like, other family member or whatever, pretended to be police officers. And they go to, they go to that, they go to uh, Tim's house. Oh, they're the bad guys. Never mind. Sorry. uh, No, no, no. Oh, no, it's good. Um, And they, like, bust up in there and they're like, where's Julie? Where's Julie? I need to see Julie now. Where are the police? And this guy is like, whoa, who are you? You're not police. Like, get out of my house. He had the wrong address. <gasps> what is it? <laughs> so you got then, one job to stake out this one house, and you go to the wrong house. So Bunch in the of ninnies. In the reenactment, uh, Nelson is like, hey, where is he? And the guy, it turns out to be Tim's brother, Ted. Yeah, Tim and, and he's Ted. Like, he's like, I don't know you. Get out of my house. What are you doing in here? He's like fast asleep in bed. It's great. Um, <laughs> I love it. Anyway, so the next day, oh, Tim and Julie were in the next house over, fast asleep, and they were like, they just gave up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the next day, Ted comes over to his brother Tim's house, and he's like, "Yo, crazy happened last night. Like, what is going on?" Because the they not only said, "Where's Julie?" We're looking for Tim too, and he was. Mm. Like, he wasn't gonna be like, that's my brother, you know. He was just like, Get yeah. out of my house. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> uh so when he asked him about what's going on, Tim kind of comes clean that he helped this girl escape from this cult, and they're like, Julie, you gotta go to the authorities about this. So she did. Um, she came clean about the years of rape and torment that she had been through, and she said she her biggest concern was that um the family or the cult would take it out on her family. Um, let's see. Uh, she confessed this these things to Detective Dwayne Weersman, who had been suspicious of the DeCloud family for a long time. The cloud caught wind of the police getting involved, however, and had the family pack their belongings into four buses and bailed. Um, however, after the broadcast of this episode... I guess not of this episode. It just is after the broadcast in the show. Anyways, it was like an update. Was witnesses from San Angelo, Texas con- contacted Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, the town, San Angelo, is 500 miles from DeCloud's old headquarters, and they had seen Nelson's wife outside of an old farmhouse. 
When authorities arrived, the cloud kicked out the screen of an upstairs window and tried to escape, but there were way too many police officers, and they dropped that bitch into handcuffs, and he was brought back to Liberty, Missouri, and was convicted of rape, sodomy, and kidnapping, and um, at the time of the episode, he was serving a sentence of 220 years, but he died at 73 uh, on... Uh, April 14th in 2014. Dang. So, That's yeah. a crazy one. All right, guys. We're almost done. I promise. Uh, there was one episode, or there was one really short story about this guy named Robert Weeks, which had been in an episode like a month or two before. Yeah. Um, his ex, his wife, ex-wife had gone missing and they never found her. And then two of his girlfriends had planned to break up with him, and he begged them for one last dinner date. Uh, They were never seen after the dinner, though. The day after the episode with him aired, um, this is crazy. Uh, Weeks was captured in Arizona where he was living with a new girlfriend, and the new girlfriend had been at home while he was at work watching freaking Unsolved Mysteries. What? Saw the episode and called authorities and was like, yo, yes. I know where this guy is. Yes, um, ma'am. Yeah. Yes. He was he was sentenced to life in prison and died in uh, 1996. Uh, the bodies of the victims were never found, but at least his new girlfriend took him down. That is crazy. <laughs> is that not like everyone's dream? Like you to solve and unsolved like, mysteries? Yeah. Not about my husband. <laughs> no. Fair point there. But that guy was trash. Jeremiah's yeah. not. Yes, obviously. Obviously. I don't date trash. Well, I don't date <laughs> trash anymore. Anymore. <laughs> right, guys, last one might be my favorite. It makes me super sad, though. Sorry to end on a sad note. So, on November 1st, 1986, um, is when this takes place. Sorry. (laughs) I forgot my notes. Got a little disheveled there. Um, All right. Orthodox Jews trace their roots back 5,000 years and live according to strict codes, which have remained the same for centuries. To maintain their traditions, they have instated yeshivas. Yeshivas. Sorry. Yeshivas. I'm going to lose my Jew card, which are schools that emphasize Orthodox Jewish traditions. At 8 a.m. in Long Beach, New York, a veteran police detective was sent to a yeshiva in uh, Nassau County to investigate the murder of a student. 16-year-old Chaim Weiss was killed. This is so... He was killed by a single blow to his skull, which severed his spinal cord. Oh, God! Um, investigators couldn't find signs of a struggle, evidence, or a murder weapon. Uh, Detective Daly uh, was the investigator on this, and he said it was intensely difficult to investigate due to the murder taking place on a Saturday, which was the Sabbath. Orthodox beliefs uh, restrict writing, so no statements were able to be taken that day. Oh. My goodness. Detective Daly determined that the murder knowingly took place on the Sabbath because of that fact, though, because they, he knew, like, the killer knew that they wouldn't be able to take statements. Oh. 
Um, he could also determine that the boy was killed in his sleep and then moved from the bed to the floor and then two feet away from that spot. So this is where it starts to get kind of crazy. Remember, he was moved to the floor. Uh, Kayim's window was found open on a chilly October morning and then Detective Daly remembered that it was tradition to leave a window open where the body was to let the spirit out. Oh! It's also customary to take the body off of the bed because the body should be resting at the lowest and coolest point of a room. Um, another clue was that a memorial candle is to be lit for the deceased for seven days. So after the crime scene was completely locked up, no one had access to it. Um, it was sealed after the rabbi lit a memorial candle to burn for seven days. Aww. However, two days later, another memorial candle showed up. Like a second one? Yeah. Um, and police investigated everyone, and they were like, why would anyone, like, be afraid to be like, no, I lit that candle for my friend? Because apparently Kaim was, like, very popular, very well-liked, he had a lot of friends, um, all sorts of stuff. It was super sad. Um, let's see. Oh, so police determined that, uh... Whoever killed the boy knew the layout of the dormitory as well as the fact that uh, Kayim was only one of, or one of only two students that didn't have a roommate. So all the other boys oh, in the yeshiva had a roommate except for him and one other kid. Which you figure you just put them together. Anyway. Right. <laughs> I was like, damn. Like, um, so a student claimed. Uh, he lived next door and he claimed that he saw his door open and close. Like the guy opened it or someone opened the door and then closed it quickly thereafter. And he, he said he thought it was his roommate. Um, but his roommate said that he had already been asleep and in bed that whole time. Mm. Uh, police wound up interrogating over 40 students and teachers, but no leads or key witnesses were ever found. It is Damn. still super unsolved. Damn, what year was that? Uh, 1986. Wow. It's really sad, too, because in the episode, they interview uh, Chaim's dad. Mm. And it's just like, ugh. It's really sad. The only other evidence um, that anyone could ever find was uh, a jogger said that during, like, the same hours of the murder... He saw one schoolboy from the yeshiva sitting out on a dock, just staring into the ocean. But that literally doesn't mean anything. <laughs> or it, it might not, you know. Right. And they could never determine who the student was. Another big thing that they mentioned, and I didn't write down, but um, was that it's very, like, in Orthodox Jewish tradition, you can't, like... Let's say you think you see something, but you can't, like, 100% confirm it. Mm -hmm. You can't claim uh, an act is done over suspicion unless mm. you know 100%. Yeah. So, like, all of the boys were being interrogated, and the police officer was like, please, like, just tell us anything, even if it's just, like, something you have a hunch on, but it's, like, against tradition. Right. Like, I think this kid was seen here, you know? Oh, that's so crazy. That's so sad because it's somebody that's like definitely in that community. Yeah. 
yeah, to know to know all those things. Yeah. Mm. Oh. That was it. I'm sorry that I did so much research again. <laughs> sorry for killing it. <laughs> oh man, murder blows, man. It does. I got super so supposed to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> My B. Merry Christmas, happy holidays. Some of mine like ended so good though, like my episodes, and then the last one I was like, I probably won't even do the last one. And then the first sentence was Orthodox Jewish traditions. I was like, I mean, I'll listen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm already right here. Oh, all right. I'm tired. I can't imagine how tired you guys are. <laughs> Cody's secretly asleep. We just don't know it yet. <laughs> oh, killed it. Everyone, everyone ready for the upcoming, I guess, I don't know. I was going to say the holidays, <clears throat> but it's cool. <laughs> Merry Chrysler. Merry Chrysler. Merry Chrysler. Everyone, thanks so much so for being part of our Murder Blows journey. We love it. Welcome back, Lincoln. Um, check us out on Instagram and Twitter and Reddit at Murder Blows, our Murder Blows for Reddit. Um, if you are following us on Reddit, I'm sorry I haven't posted. I'm gonna get back into it. I swear. Um, Reddit also, is hard. <laughs> Reddit is hard. Um, check out our friends at Arcadian Grooming, and you can get yourself some um scruffy hands that removes hair dye. Apparently, uh, you can use code MURDERBLOWS for 15% off and then go get some scrub for your body at Blank Slate Labs. I mean, I guess they're interchangeable, but they're not because they're two separate businesses one, ran by two bigger. separate people. Yeah, it's no, don't use the products interchangeably. Don't use them interchangeably. Use them all every day, though. Um, Blank Slate Labs is ran by our friend Allie. Um... It's great. I use the uni oil every day. If you don't know what uni oil is, go check them out at Blank Slate Labs on Instagram. Their Instagram is poppin, and you can use yos. Oh my god, you can use code Murder Blows at blankslatelabs.com. I almost said dark Gmail account. <laughs> What's wrong with me? I can't do this. Uh, if you have any stories that were too close for comfort or you just want to yell at us and tell us how annoying our voices are, leave us an iTunes review or you can email us at murderblows at gmail.com Emailing is great too Emailing or great. Twitter or we just like to talk to you guys if you have any tips on the podcast or into yeah, that What's up? I wasn't sleeping. I was digging the cat out of the tree. <laughs> <laughs> Busted. <laughs>